Hey everyone, it's 12.08 p.m. on April 17th. Welcome to Gathering Space. We've got to live and to love and to pay the rent. While we're waiting for more clarity on how to do that without destroying everything, we're going to spend some time making this podcast. We're here to heal our stories around worth, work, and making ends meet. Maybe you'd like some of that too. If healing justice is your thing, if in your heart there's no creativity without accountability, if a little tenderness around living, loving, and paying the rent is needed, then you're welcome here to gather a little space too. For those of you who've noticed, thanks for your patience and waiting for this episode to drop. I'm still pretty new to podcasting and I was not prepared to have a sick day last week. Of all the flavors of meditation practice, it's Zen meditation I find the most space in. Zen's not everyone's cup of tea, and that's just fine. I'm not here recommending one practice or another. I'm just reflecting on my own practice. This past month, I've been renovating my bathroom. It is slow work in my hands, but I don't mind. I enjoy trying new things when I can, especially when I can do so in solitude, and this bathroom has offered me ample opportunities. In all that working with my hands, I've listened to a number of books, including Writing Down the Bones and Thunder and Lightning by Natalie Goldberg, Resilient by Rick and Forrest Hansen, The Essential Dogen, as translated by um, Kazuki Tanahashi and Peter Levitt, as well as Zen Mind, Beginner Mind by um, Shunru Suzuki. I have to apologize. I, um, I've written this script down and I'm reading it uh, but I'm in a situation in my body where I'm trying to read it with one eye and um, it's making a lot of things really slow. So I think what I'm going to do is just kind of leave the script aside. Um, the thing I wanted to bring up about Zen meditation that I like so much it comes from some advice I got. Um, and I think it's, you know, a basic Zen precept, but I'm, I'm not sure where uh, it comes from. Uh, there's a statement that says, practice no matter the condition. And for a long time in my life, I thought that practice no matter the condition was about showing up and performing in a specific way, no matter what's happening, to be able to somehow overcome the body or the mind or the environment or circumstances. But then I realized actually that sort of rigidity, that is a strategy and that strategy is a distortion. When we practice no matter the condition, we simply show up where we are, as we are, and practice. In the case of this podcast, I am presently practicing it in my bedroom. There are cars making siren sounds outside. My dog is presently lying on a pillow, but there might be a flurry of barks um, should he hear something he doesn't want to hear. Um, my body is sore and tired, and um, if you can't hear it, I only have half a mouth with which to speak, so I feel a bit uh, shy about putting together this recording, not because... I feel shy about what's going on in my body, but because uh, I 
have a story in my head about podcasting needing a particular level of enunciation, for example. And even if, even as I say that out loud, I realize it's ridiculous. So anyway, here I am in my body. I'm in pain body today. Um, and it's been pain body over time. So that's a tired pain body. Last Monday, I woke up and half of my face was paralyzed. Um, so that is that is a condition called Bell's palsy. And I read about it on the internet and saw that there really wasn't much to to do about Bell's palsy. Uh, so I didn't go in right away. I waited a couple of days. And then I noticed that uh, this palsy, this paralysis was being accompanied by some, some pain. So I thought I should go um, get checked out. And when I did, I learned that I have shingles or the uh, varicella zoster virus in my ear. <laughs> and uh, that's what's sort of uh, flaming up all of my um, nerves, particularly the seventh cranial nerve. And, you know, it's just a sort of wait and see game now. Um, and that's what I'm doing, waiting and seeing. <laughs> anyway, but I'm also showing up. And I am realizing today of all days the importance of showing up to practice no matter the condition. Uh, I live in a province in Canada called Alberta. We had an election yesterday. There were a full slate of candidates in a variety of parties. The two predominant parties were the United Conservative Party and the New Democratic Party. Uh, so that would be a right-wing party and a left-wing party. Uh, and the governing party of this province for the last four years has been the NDP, which has actually improved many areas of my life considerably. It's kind of funny to live a life where one's actual conditions of life are improved or, or um, degraded by the political party in power um, to not have any insulation. It's, it's, in, it's interesting to live in that space. Um, Anyways, uh, so my life was feeling increasingly possible under uh, the NDP leadership. Um, prior to that, um, my province has always been very conservative. And uh, last night, the conservatives swept to power with a majority government, meaning they, they will have opposition in the legislature, but they won't have um, any actual uh opponent if they want to pass a bill or change a law. And it was very saddening to uh, discover that the conservatives are back in power uh, because they actually ran on a campaign of hate. Uh, they ran um, in a party full of scandal. They ran making promises about the economy that there is no possible way they'll be able to keep, but they will punish people like me um, in many ways, 
in order to appear to try to keep that promise before they blame it all on the four years of NDP rule that happened beforehand. Anyway, it's all very boring and predictable. And anyway, when I saw that they had won, I realized that I cannot spend the next four years being angry, um, not in the way that I understand anger anyways. I could not spend the next four years pointing out to people on social media, oh, look, here's what they've done here. Oh, I was right about that during the election. Oh, yeah, this is what we were saying on the left about that during the election and on and on and on. Because it does nothing. <laughs> it does absolutely nothing to be right. Um, and so I had to do something, though, with the energy. And so I sat and I thought a little bit about it. And I thought about how I grew up in this province. I grew up queer in this province before there were any protections for people like me. I grew up a kid uh, who was outed in high school, who faced an, an immense amount of violence as a result. And I'm here. I made it. I survived. Um, but more than that, actually, I live a, a wonderful life. It's not that I survived, if we imagine survival as subsiding on crumbs falling off the table of some um, more privileged folk. But I, I flourished. I have a community. I have uh, a home. I have a family. I have at long last discovered that I am not my own worst enemy. It's pretty great. And I did that during the Klein years. And I did that during all the hoofra afterward. And I did that because of a thousand thousand lucky breaks. I did that because I found people who could help break my fall. I did that because I was able to get on my own side. I did that because I was able to make sense of the world and myself in it, even when I made no sense in this world, and even when I didn't have a full sense of myself. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I did a lot of doing the best I could, and I gotta tell you, it, it was not graceful. It has not been graceful. <laughs> I, uh, I have made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt a lot of people. I've hurt myself. I've slowed myself down. I've, um, I've not slowed down enough to listen. All the things, right? All the things. But also, I'm here. I am alive. My life is flourishing. I love my life. And when I think about that, when I felt into that last night, um, as, I, as I heard the election results, I, I thought, well, <clears throat> I cannot spend the next four years being angry, but I absolutely 100 
50% can get behind spending the next four years um, working together with other folks to be uh, somebody else's lucky break. Um, so I'm going to post a project. Uh, there'll be a link here. It's called Political Possibilities. Uh, I'm working with Tiffany Sostar and... Um, whom you would have heard on episode two if you've been listening to the podcast, and uh, the organization Possibilities, uh, which is uh, Calgary's bi and pansexual community organization. And we are putting together a monthly meeting called Political Possibilities, and the idea is to get together a whole bunch of folks, community, um, who are 40 and above, people who have gone through a real rough ride uh, with conservatism here in Alberta and have come to the other side of it and are living lives that we love uh, in order to offer what perspective we can on how to find way through, how to turn toward one another, uh, how to um, sustain your energy for the, the long um, the long effort of engaging in resistance to conservatism and fascism in our province to be able to maintain the right to bodily autonomy and social support. And we will be gathering our stories and sharing our skills and inviting youth from our community who may not be able to attend a GSA um, certainly not if uh, the GSAs are uh, are as the Conservative Party would like are a way to out kids to their parents before kids might be ready. Anyway, uh, we'd invite youth uh, to share their stories and their enthusiasm and their hope. And hopefully in that exchange uh, between community youth and community adults and community elders, we can generate uh, a, a network of care, a net of care, um, wherein um, some of us can be buoyed by the enthusiasm of youth and some of us can be uh, consoled by the longer perspective of someone who's been there. Um, I'm just so much for the stay alive. I am so in favor of people remaining alive long enough to surprise themselves. Um, that said, I would never judge anybody who could not, who, um, who need to leave on their own terms. It's not about that. But if staying alive is preferred and there's any way to make that possible, then I'd really like to to be there, you know, um, bring some snacks and some stories and some craft supplies. <laughs> anyway, there'll be more on the uh, website about possibilities. I apologize about this car honking. I have no idea what's going on. It was the police giving somebody a ticket. All right, so anyway, um, 
I was saying how the, these election results came out and this um, group is being formed. It's going to begin um, the week of May 13th, somewhere in there, uh, and it'll be monthly. And I'm really excited about it and enthusiastic about this community building project. Um, and also about like collaborating with others and also terrified about that because I'm not the best collaborator. I'm a really good parallel play person, not so much a collaborative one, but I'm trying, I'm learning and we will see where it goes. Anyway, and it got me thinking a lot about the first house in astrology. Uh, I had mentioned on the last couple of episodes that I would be dedicating an episode to the astrology, to the first house. Uh, so that's what I'll be doing today. Um, or I, I will <laughs> be giving it my my best. I, um, yes, I, I, I worry about what I don't know and sharing, but again, I'm trying to remind myself that no, 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 I am not creating a product in this podcast. I am sharing a process, and in my process today, we are going to be thinking about the astrological first house. In astrology, there's something really unique about the first house of the twelve. Um, generally, the twelve houses signify locations in life, and when we talk about the astrological houses, we talk about how each house is the location in life in which uh, certain um, challenges and opportunities would present themselves in an assortment of voices. The first house, however, is both the location, as in the body, and the self as in the perception and in the inspiration, meaning that in astrology, in the first house, it is the house, it is the, the place of life, um, physical life. It is the place where spirit um, joins in with physical life. So for um, those who are interested in, in um, traditional astrological perception, uh, the idea is that the spirit of a being is inhaled, inhaled in one's first breath, um, which is the moment of the ascendant in the chart. And then also there's thought that, that the soul of a person, their, the depth of their character and their connection to spirit lies in the first house as well. So it's a pretty large and loaded house. <laughs> um, Vidius Valens, who's a, an astrologer, philosopher, uh, writing quite some time ago, said of the first house, let the beginning be the hour marker, which is life, helm, body, spirit, pneuma. Pneuma meaning breath or life breath. Um, for Asclepius, likewise, um, he talked of the first house related to body and health and constitution appearances. He talked about spirit and soul, and importantly, he talked about the spiritual breath, uh, psychic pneuma as well as the hour marker. 
which is the ascendant, um, and he talked about that as psychis uh, energignata, which is the actualizations of the soul. So um, all these all these folks <laughs> back in uh, in ancient Greece were uh, were talking uh, configured the first house in this way, and it did build on earlier uh, concept of the first house, but I personally don't go back behind um, Helen, the Hellenistic period in astrology. Personally, I'm not, I'm not yet in a place where I've studied in that way. Um, and I really am only on the very edge of my study of traditional astrology. If you are interested in traditional astrology, then I recommend uh, Chris Brennan's excellent book uh, it's called, I believe, Hellenistic Astrology, A Study of Fate and Fortune. Uh, it is uh, well worth getting. I have many, many a dog-eared page. Of the first house, um, the ancient Greeks referred to the house also as um, oix, or the helm, as in the helm of the ship. Which raises a question, um, and this question comes up in Chris Brennan's book, if there is a helm, then what is the ship and who is steering it? And um, there's this nautical metaphor that runs through some of the Hellenistic texts, which I find really fascinating uh, to consider, to consider, uh, to consider, I guess, as one way of thinking about life. Um, and so we think if, if the soul enters the body at the moment of birth, the spirit enters the body at the moment of birth, then gestation is like the building of the ship. And so the body is the ship, the birth is the launch of that ship, and then there is uh, somebody who's going to navigate that ship. And there is distinction too between the navigator and the owner of the ship. So there's just, there's room for everybody um, in this metaphor. It's an incomplete metaphor, so we can only guess at what it, what it means at this point. And as for myself, I can only um, share with you some reflections on the things that I've read. I, I'm not well enough read in the, the older texts to hazard my own guess at this point, but I do like the idea of the helm um, of the ship because there's something about the idea of that big wheel that's on a ship. Um, you know, it's round, it's got all those handles sticking out. Uh, first of all, that looks like a uh, chart, uh, but also, um, I don't know, my sense of it not having ever steered a ship in that way. <laughs> my sense, though, is that if, as long as you're steering the ship in a way that the ocean is uh, willing to go, then it would probably be all right to do. But if you ever had to steer against the power of the current, then uh, I think that would take a great effort. And I think, too, that current could steer back. And you, I don't know, I remember, I don't know, some cartoons from when I was a kid. And, you know, you'd see, I don't know, somebody, some cartoon figure, maybe Bugs Bunny as the captain of the ship. And then the, the ocean takes over and he or whoever's trying to hold that wheel gets bonked in the head a hundred times as the wheel spins the other way. 
you know, and somehow that helps me feel good about how life unfolds. So we think of the first house as self, as body, as self-perception, as emotions, as spirit, as soul. Um, and we can also think of the first house itself as the beginning, but also the foundation. So it exists in time and space, that ascendant line, the beginning and the foundation. And all of that converges in the first house, uh, which is why I say it's a loaded house. Also, just to bounce back to, I believe it was in the second episode, I talked about the ascendant a little bit, and I wasn't 100% sure if within the uh, whole sign house system, the ascendant was always in the first house, and it is, in fact, always in the first house. I, I can confirm that. Uh, so there are many house systems where the first house begins at the ascendant, uh, and then there are house systems like the whole house, whole sign house system where the ascendant is contained within the first house. The first house is comprised of the sign of the ascendant. But that's a whole nother thing. But if, if you're wondering from that episode there, that is. I do want to say in turning to information on the first house, I, um, I have done a lot of reading and listening. So I just want to uh, cite my sources here. Again, I'll, uh, I will eventually put links to these. Um, so uh, for this, I looked at Demetra George and Douglas Block's Astrology for Yourself, a workbook for personal transformation. I looked at Stephen Arroyo's chart interpretation. I looked at Dane Rudyard's The Twelfth Astrological Houses. I looked at Howard Sasperdas's The Twelve Houses, Exploring the Houses of the Horoscope. And I looked at Chris Brennan's Hellenistic Astrology, A Study of Fate and Fortune. I want to be really clear that I'm missing tons. I'm, I'm missing tons and tons, which is part of the reason I'm so glad to have uh, five whole years in this project so I can really make sure that I'm reading all that I want to read. Um, uh, and I will say that, you know, notably Ben Dykes's work uh, concerning the house system is missing from this project. Also, although there are many references to Project Hindsight, um, I am missing, um, I am missing, uh, 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 oh gosh, who was that? Douglas Schmidt and Robert Hand. I think I'm, I'm missing their work. I'm missing a lot of work. <laughs> but I did do a survey of the work that I described, and it came up with a lot of keywords. I discovered um, a lot of metaphors. I learned about how the first house interacts with other parts of the astrological chart, like the elements and the modalities. Um, and I read a lot about uh, a skillful and unskillful applications of the first house. So I think what I want to speak to, um, what's most important about the first house is, is how important it is to accept it, not resign oneself to it. It's not a defeat. It's actually, it's actually, you know, one's greatest victory. Uh, to be born, uh, to to come through alive, you know. Um, but there there is a lot to accept, 
and until we can accept uh, the whole of ourselves in, um, in configuration with the whole of the world we inhabit, um, we have a great deal of difficulty um, moving through the world. It's particularly difficult to accept oneself when you occupy a social position that many people consider unacceptable. Uh, so um, I would say that the astrology of the first house can be used very skillfully to help uh, offer some relief and release um, to consider ways to be who one is in the world um, without parsing oneself apart, even if the one moving through the world isn't particularly pop popular, desirable, or life-filled, um, even if um, we are alive. The reason that um, I thought so much about the first house as I was thinking about and responding to last night's election here in Alberta is because I have come to a state, a place, a time in my life, a time in my being where I am really, really deeply disinterested in trying to convince other people that I am who I am or that I am who I say I am or that I know what I'm saying or that I'm communicating in a way that is clear. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in convincing somebody that my life is valuable. Um, and at the same time, I'm deeply invested in knowing my value and in offering from a place of value, in receiving to value. So I had mentioned to Tiffany that we could do a little first house exercise. The cool thing is, because we're starting with houses, we're not starting with signs, we're not starting with planets, um, all we can do for a first house exercise is to take a breath in and take a breath out. And every breath is, it's a celebration of that first breath. Every breath is just a reference to that first breath that we took, which, I mean, I've written about this pretty extensively uh, in a book project that I have coming out, so I won't go in too deep, but if you think about it, a person's first breath is never a thing that just happens by accident. We actually have to switch from being, uh, being creatures that do not use our lungs to using our lungs and relying on them for life. That first breath is no accident. It's no joke. It's no small thing. Uh, and it isn't uh, something that should be taken for granted. So. After all that hope and breath holding on the part of people in the room when a baby is born, to, to hear that that first breath has been taken, that life has been received in that way, and in, in the case of astrology, that, that the spirit, the soul, has been inhaled into the being, that initial inspiration, every breath after that 
refers to that initial inspiration. And so the first house exercise I would like for us to do is this. Sit comfortably wherever you are, as comfortably as you are or can be, uh, or stand or lie down. You know your body. Be in your body in the way that makes the, the chest most accessible and most possible. And also the back, I guess, that whole um, thoracic area. And take a deep breath in. And feel how the breath moves past the, the mouth or the nose. It moves into the back of the throat. Feel what it opens. Feel what actually tightens when the breath passes. Feel what doesn't want the breath to move. Feel the emotions that attach themselves to the breath. Open, 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 and out. And we're going to do this again. You're going to open everything. Open your lungs. Breathe in, breathe in until you think you can't breathe in some more. And then breathe in some more. And then hold it. And then try to take in one little extra sip of air. And hold it. And then breathe out. 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 Keep going. Out. There's always more breath to go out. There's always more breath. Until you're dead, there's always more breath. There's always more breath. And when you're out as far as you can go and hold it, pause there, breathe in again. And again, in and in and in. Take it in. Fill the lungs. Feel the lungs filling up and out in the front. Feel them filling in the back. Fill the lungs, fill the lungs, fill the lungs. And when you can't fill them anymore, put your hands on the sides of your lungs and fill them to the side and hold it and out. Exhale, 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 exhale. Take a breath in, receive, receive, receive. Receive, yeah, just like that. You've been doing it your whole life. Just receive, receive, and hold for a moment, and exhale. Release, 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 release. Just like that. You've been doing it your whole life. Receive and release. Inhale and exhale. Inspire. Expire, in and out, in and out. Feel your heart beat as you breathe, in and out, in and out. This heartbeat. This breathing, this is your life. And the first house exercise that I recommend is breathe like this. Breathe like your life depended on it. Breathe like you've been breathing your entire life. Fill the lungs top, front, back, bottom, and sides. Empty them, empty them, empty them, empty them, empty them. And then turn towards something that is alive when I read those election results, which I was expecting, when I read those election results, turning to yell at people 
and people I love even, who I know um, voted for the conservative party, even though they love me, even though they can't, they cannot connect or understand that that vote directly affects my body, directly affects my ability to live. Not to mention the ability of, of many, many, many other people like me, young people, kids. Anyway, they didn't vote understanding that because nobody can understand that, really deeply understand that and make that decision. But they did make that choice and I was not going to turn to them and start yelling. It's not alive in me to prove my worth. I am worthy. I passed every test. I have no business being alive and I am alive. And I will stay alive for as long as life will have me. But what is alive in me is turning toward aliveness and nourishing and nurturing aliveness in other people. And by aliveness, I mean that combination of life force and vitality. That's what this group is about and that's what this podcast is about and that's actually what my whole life is about. I live in such privilege that I actually don't spend time with people around whom I don't feel alive. Isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that an incredible life? I don't do anything that I don't want to do. I mean the privilege that I enjoy to be able to know that when I'm washing the dishes it's because I just love clean dishes and I love the way the water feels on my wrists and I love how peaceful my nesting partner's face is when they look and see some clean dishes or when I'm um, doing a small tiny cosmetic repair in the bathroom that turns into a giant renovation project. I am learning how to plaster a wall or how to work with black pipe, which by the way, dead easy, uh, because, because I want to. You know, my, my uh, dishwasher broke down and I could get on the internet and I could locate a, a new secondhand dishwasher for a price I could afford and I could have a friend who is available to, to drive with me and help me pick it up after a giant snowstorm even. And I mean, my life is amazing. Life is amazing. And so that is the project of the first house, is to be alive. And I remember very, very clearly what it felt like when I was disconnected from my own life. It was very painful, but even in the, that most painful of times and places, I could turn my head just two millimeters toward a sense of relief. And if you can find a sense of relief, that is turning toward the aliveness in yourself. And if you can turn toward it without attaching story and strategy too firmly, then friends, that's it. That's all life is. So that is our first house practice. And uh, I'm going to leave you with that because 
I have this neuropathy and it's really hurting and I can't talk anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this has been your episode. It's super short. Um, I'm going to end it with actually an ID tag I made for the show about who the show is for, uh, because increasingly I need to live my life publicly. I'm being very clear in what I'm for, because uh, I really can't be bothered. Uh, I cannot be bothered to outline for people who are not for those things um, why they should be. I'm just, just living for them. Doesn't mean I won't resist God, of course. Of course, I will, I will fight, I will do the things. It's not, it's not that, it's just that the thing that's alive in me is the four. When I have to put up boundaries or resistance or write letters, I do it in, a, in the context of what I'm doing it for, not with attachment to the outcome I'm hoping to achieve because I have lived in Alberta for a long time and I have discovered that if I believe the great lie that my life is nothing without certain outcomes, then I'm lost because I'm never going to be guaranteed those outcomes. Um, but my life is something, and it's something magnificent, uh, regardless, regardless, no matter of the condition. Do I think that this conservative party is uh, one of the most deadly jokes we have ever encountered in our province? Absolutely, I do. Do I think they will be so riddled and rife with scandal by their second year of their time in power that they will render themselves completely ineffectual? I do. Do I worry a little bit about what that will mean for vulnerable folks? Of course I do. Aren't we always the scapegoat? We're so expensive. <laughs> uh, um, of course I do. But more than all of that, I am, I am for the feeling of water on my wrist, and I am for a day in the mountains, and I am for my children laughing and then completely losing it the way that kids do, you know, right before bedtime. And I'm for my friends, my beloved family. I'm for anyone I've ever loved and who's ever loved me, whether we're in touch or not. I am for life, and I can be for life no matter the condition, no matter the condition. That first breath, inspiration. Receive, receive, receive. Here, on this land where the two rivers meet, I am for you. I am on the side of your life. The inhale and exhale of it. The receive and release of it. The life force. The vitality. The energy that meets and accumulates in your heart and moves your hands. It is Wednesday and we are alive.